What's going on guys? I'm Nate and I'm Colin and welcome back to Behind the Streams. So you guys seem to like the last episode where uh, the two of us just sat here and discussed different talking points about music. So we're going to try something like that again. Uh, But first we wanted to revisit the first episode we ever recorded, which is a ranking of our top five albums of 2020. Uh, The year is over. Our list is full. There will are no more albums being released in 2020. So we're both confident on our top five, I think. Uh, Do you want to go first? Yeah. Um, I'd just like to say that Circles is still the album of the year for me. It came close when I heard Punisher by Phoebe Bridgers, but then I decided that um, I still love Circles so much. And even though I am allowing my bias to take hold here, I do think it is the perfect posthumous album. Yeah, that's Circles by Mac Miller, right? Yeah, Circles right. by Mac Miller. And my favorite album of the year has also stayed the same. It's Alfredo by Freddie Gibbs. And just like Colin, there is a close second, which is Punisher by Phoebe Bridgers. That album was amazing and packed full of just raw emotion and vocals. And I know that's a very, very popular pick for people's favorite album of the year. But Freddie Gibbs and the Alchemist just by a little bit end up ahead of Phoebe Bridgers on my final top five. Uh, Rounding out with my last three albums is It Is What It Is by Thundercat, which was also there when we recorded this back in September. Just a great album by Thundercat. Uh, Every time he releases an album, it's a treat, and I just love to hear his music. Uh, Number four, a new edition, Dinner Party by the jazz hip-hop player producer group can uh comprised of terrence martin robert glasper kamasi washington and ninth wonder uh all are jazz musicians but also hip-hop producers and they really got a nice blend of jazz and hip-hop on this album leaning more towards the jazz side though instead of the rapping side as opposed to to pimp a butterfly by kendrick lamar or the low end theory by tribe called quest uh it was an interesting take and i hope they release more music together soon and rounding out my top five is 31520 by childish gambino again a really underrated album. I had it here back in September, and it still makes my list. Where did the price of tea in China go? Uh, it was just knocked off the list by Dinner Party. I was going to have it at the five, but I listened to Dinner Party a few more times and just put it in instead. You have anything to say about 31520? Uh, nothing more than I've said before, just that it's a really underrated album. Uh, I just didn't get publicity because of its intentionally ambiguous rollout. But it's definitely worth a listen for anyone, and especially any Childish Gambino fan. Honestly, if you're going to listen to Childish Gambino, you should probably check out some of his other albums, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely not the place to start, but it's a really good album if you want to hear just his wide variety of music that he can create. So what runs out your top five? Um, so my top five go Circles. Then I have Punisher, obviously. And then we have a new edition, which is actually really surprising. It- it went from, like, I thought this album was awful to being in my top three of the year. This is Dreamland by Glass Animals. I know I've never heard anybody say this before, but I do believe that Dreamland will be a hit soon. Similar to their 2014 album, Zaba, Glass Animals released it and thought, oh, nobody will care. We're going to go right back to our jobs and nothing's going to happen. But slowly but surely, the hit single, Gooey, off of that album became a sleeper hit in its own, along with a couple other songs for that album. And now it is, like universally accepted among glass animals fans is an amazing album i think that dreamland is the exact same way i've heard a lot of glass animals fans i've talked to say that it's probably their worst album and i agreed with that at first but over time i've listened to it more than more and i've realized that there are more songs i'm hearing on the radio 
and I'm hearing people talk about it more and more now. So I do think it's the same sort of thing with Zaba here. That's cool, because I remember when this album came out, not only did it get no attention, but the attention it did get was very, very negative. So I definitely don't love this album, but it's cool to know it's at least getting some traction. I think it's going to keep growing, too. I'm seeing cool. singles like Tangerine and Heat Waves all over the radio now. It was played on WLTL radio station, actually. I was listening to that. <laughs> And I think that it's only going to keep getting more popular. And I already absolutely love that album. And every time I hear it, it just gets better and better. So I think that Dreamland will really, um, it'll be looked back on fondly in a couple of years, among at least the people that have heard it. Yeah. For my fourth album, it's still After Hours, even though my opinion in After Hours has greatly jumped. I love that album so much more now. I spent an entire day just watching the music videos for it. And I realized that The weekend really created his own universe for the album. Yeah. There's almost like a little story between the After Hours short film into In Your Eyes and then finally to Too Late. And I think that's a neat little thing that he has going there. And I also think that while it is like the typical The weekend album you'd expect with the dark ominous sounds and the The weekend really manifesting the villain in his work, yeah, yeah. I think this is a bit different from what you should expect. It's not another Star Boy. It's not another Beauty Behind the Madness. It is After Hours. And I think compared to his earlier work, his earlier work is much more ruthless. He's out there. He's doing all these things. He has no regrets. But After Hours, we finally start to see him thinking about his actions and really like finding some regret in that. And there's a little stretch in the album where you can kind of hear in the music that The Weeknd is trying to improve his situation. Yeah, and on the topic of After Hours, how crazy was that with zero Grammy nominations? I, mean, I think that's that's probably one of the main things that is going to put people off the Grammys. After, I think After Hours gonna... definitely isn't my favorite album of the year, but just the idea that it was such a high-quality album and so insanely popular. Like, you can't go anywhere without hearing Blinding Lights I know. or any other song for that matter. Just to get no recognition at the Grammys, I thought was ridiculous. But I think that's going to be the main thing that's going to put people off the Grammys. They're on a decline now. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people really talking bad about them now. I think in the future, the Grammys are, aren't going to be that popular yeah, people, there's, there's every year, there's always going to be people mad that an album they liked didn't make whatever nomination for the Grammys. You're never going to please everyone. But I just assumed that After Hours was a lock to be nominated for Best Album of the Year. And to see Did Jay Say Volume 3 by Jacob Collier, which I think is a great album, but definitely not better than After Hours or any of the other albums that were nominated for best record of the year, I just think is crazy. Like, I just want to know what they were thinking when they thought of that. Uh, I heard something about how, you know, The weekend is performing at the Super Bowl halftime. Yeah. I heard something about he was given the ultimatum between performing at the Super Bowl or performing at the Grammys. And he chose the Super well, Bowl, so the Grammys snubbed him. I'm not sure I mean, if that's yeah, true, I don't think, but I've heard that. That, I mean... I've been on Twitter and I've read about that before and I've heard a lot of people talking about that. That sounds too that. crazy to be true. I don't want to believe that, but I don't want knows? to either, but it's definitely something I've heard and it it's scary to think, yeah. but that does sound like it could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, one last thing about After Hours is that considering the rest of his discography, on its own, it's not like... I don't absolutely love it on its own anymore, but I think just taking into account the rest of his discography... It is seriously impressive that The Weeknd managed to make something that experimental for his sound that popular, too. Yeah. If you listen to other stuff like Starboy or Beauty Behind the Madness or Trilogy, After Hours is absolutely nothing like that. And the fact that he made it that big is really admirable for me. 
And then finally for my fifth album is Fetch the Bolt Cutters by Fiona Apple. Again, nothing I've re- nothing I haven't said about this album. Just that Fiona Apple is continuing to push the boundaries of her own music and her genre that she's in with Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Even though it is just a collection of songs, every single one of them has its own unique charm to it. And I think it's really cool to, just to listen to that album. There's a lot more beneath the surface to it, it feels like. All right. So what are we going to talk about? I actually had a few honorable mentions. You oh, so go honorable those? mentions? I mean... I just uh, had yeah, two of them because uh, I didn't feel like they belonged in my top five, but they were really good albums. Uh, the first one was Man on the Moon, The Chosen by Kid Cudi. Oh. I know Nate doesn't absolutely love that album. I'm going to create some enemies if I talk on this. I know, <laughs> but I think that even though it is one of the worst songs or one of the worst albums in the Man on the Moon series, it is fairly good for this series and it does continue along in that series. So kudos to Kid Cudi for creating a third really good album for an amazing trilogy. And then for my second honorable mention, it's Nectar by Joji. I was so excited for this album. I thought this could possibly be like something really big, maybe even one of my favorites of all time. But when I first heard it, I was like, this isn't that good. This sounds like old Joji from 2016, 2017. There's nothing special to it. But the more and more I listen to it, I'm finding more production value in every single one of the songs. Stuff like The Singles or High Hopes or Afterthought have really grown on me a ton. And I think it is overall a very good album. I didn't think that Nectar was anything special. And honestly, I didn't think Man on the Moon 3 was anything special either. But yeah, that's why they're not my top five. I do think they are really good albums from this year. And like they're in the top 10 of the year, definitely. So if you guys want to check either of those out, you should. So even though I hardly said anything about Circles in that talk, I do want to talk about posthumous releases a little bit because there were a lot this year. Pop Smoke came out with Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon. Juice World came out with Legends Never Die. And Mac Miller released Circles, obviously. Um, So I do think that Circles is the perfect posthumous release, but I want to talk about why it is and why those others aren't that good in my opinion. The story with Circles is Mac Miller had just finished releasing his, well, at the time, his final studio album, Swimming. And he met up with John Bryan, uh, who later became one of his closest friends and a mentor to him while he was creating Circles. His whole idea for Circles was that he wanted to evolve his sound, and but still keep it sounding relatively the same to what he had. Weren't Swimming and Circles always intended to be two parts of the same thing, too? Yeah. It was, the concept was Mac was swimming in circles at at that time in his life. He was swimming among, like, swimming amongst all these drugs and issues in his life. And it was just constantly in circles. He couldn't really escape that cycle. Yeah, when you told me about swimming in circles, I always assumed it was like the, like, like you just said at the end, the cycle. Like he was always just going around in a cycle of drug abuse and depression that he felt like he couldn't get out of. Mm -hmm. At least that's just what I thought about it. But that's not what we're talking about. It's just what I thought. No, but that's totally true. Swimming was supposed to be how he felt when he was like trapped in that cycle because it talks about mental issues like depression and anxiety. It also talks about drug abuse and stuff like that. But And then Circles is supposed to be that freedom from that because at that time in his life, Mac was on a brighter future. It was the happiest he'd been in a long time. So he was finally getting out of that drug habit and he was finding new connections with people and really enjoying life for the first time in a while. So when he died, 
he and John Bryan had been talking for about two months. And every time they would meet up, Mac would show John Bryan a certain song, and he would blow John away every single time because it would be something totally new every time. Uh, I remember I watched an interview about this, and John talked about the time that Mac showed him the piano part for That's On Me, which is, I think, the 10th track in Circles. And John said he literally, like, when Mac left, John would cry and listen to that song because it was just so emotional for him. And John, too, had been isolated from the rest of the world for so long, and he felt like Mac was finally opening him back up to the real world. So they were extremely close during those two months of helping making circles, and obviously he helped him with swimming, too. So when Mac died, when John Bryan was put onto the album, he already knew a lot about what Mac wanted for the album. He wanted to keep that sort of hip-hop feel to some songs, like Blue World, but he also wanted to find something new for his sound as well. So it was kind of like taking things from swimming, like small worlds, and like emphasizing that feel, the dreamy guitar, the tropical sound, and the, the really relaxed drums in the background. So when John Bryan was given these samples, he already knew what Mac wanted because they had been so close and they had talked about how, what he wanted for this album for so long. I think Circles is perfect because of that, because... John Bryan helped to preserve Mac's legacy and his memory by making this album. He did exactly what Mac wanted for the album, and it did not ruin any of his legacy for what he did for his fans either. And especially the lyrics, too. Mac wasn't even intending on it, but those lyrics are, have give the, that sort of closure to fans that otherwise couldn't have been given. Yeah, so I guess like the main point here, at least what I think you were getting at I is just the rambled. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But I guess the main idea is just with a posthumous album, you want the person putting together the final product to have been close with the artist while they were alive and know what their vision is. I'm by no means a juice world expert. I've listened to one album and I'd have no idea what I'm talking about, but just listening to legends never die his posthumous release. It felt like it had been tweaked with so many times just to get big name artists to feature on it and to just make as much money as possible after his death. And even though I'm not really an expert on what the Juice World sound is, I can say that that album sounded forced and didn't sound like something he would try to make, versus Circles, which sounded very natural, and I wouldn't guess was a posthumous album if I had heard it without knowing anything about Mac Miller. Yeah, that's the thing with Circles. Circles sounds so complete. It sounded like he was still alive at the time when he was making it. If you weren't a huge Mac Miller fan and you listened to Circles, you would have no idea that it was a posthumous album. A, because Mac was such a prolific songwriter and recorder of his music. It's basically all he did his entire life. But also because John Bryan's production and what he heard from Mac and what Mac wanted for the album was carried out beautifully. However, with the Juice World album, it was really like they just took a bunch of freestyle recordings that he had and they got like random producers like Marshmello to make yeah, a beat yeah. for that and they made it together. It the a huge the mix of count. Marshmello and Juice World is not something... I ever expected to hear I never wanted to hear and after hearing it I wished I had not heard it I'm sorry to any big uh, Marshmallow and Juice World collab fans but that was just a very random collaboration that was clearly just a cash grab by Juice World's family or by whoever was putting together that album to try and create more hype and revenue yeah and that's the it's thing that really, that's the thing that really like makes me sad and angry whenever I hear a bad posthumous album it's like this is somebody's life and you're just using it, using their work and their actions, what they wanted with their art. And you're just using it to make your own money. It's mm -hmm. like 
you're not trying to protect their legacy or what they did in their life or honor them in any way. You're just taking these old freestyle recordings that they made when they were having fun and never planned on releasing. And then you're putting big name producers on it to make money. Uh, yeah, all of this talking about posthumous albums is actually, uh, I've thought of one that I think is another great example. Um, when Colin first started talking about Circles, I wasn't even thinking about this album, but it just occurred to me. Uh, the album is We Got It From Here, Thank You For Your Service by A Tribe Called Quest. It was released in 2016 after the sad passing of one of the group's founding members, Fife Dog. Him and Q-Tip were pretty much the two rappers who made up the group. So obviously losing him was a huge blow to them, especially in a group like Tribe where all of the members had been friends basically since high school. So it was tragic for them, obviously, but they still managed to put together an amazing album that was both true to what A Tribe Called Quest was, what their mission had been since they started creating music and who they were, but also paid respects to Fife Dog and his legacy and how much he meant to them and the world and everyone who listened to their music. And that's such an incredible album, although it is a little different when it's just one member of a group passing away rather than one artist who made all of his music passing away because it's so much harder for someone to go in there and try to milk out money or generate more revenue and hype for the album. Even still, though, it was just such a great tribute to Fife Dog's passing while also maintaining the soul and the center of what makes A Tribe Called Quest one of the greatest hip-hop groups of all time. Exactly, yeah. That's um, Whenever a good posthumous album is made and I hear it, it's like they really put thought into it. You can tell. They tried to honor their friend and their the person as the, like as a person and their mm-hmm. music as well. So when stuff like Legends Never Die comes out, it sounds absolutely nothing like the original sound that most Juice World fans fell in love with. It's not another lean with me. It's come and go with Marshmallow and Juice World, and it's not trying to respect him as an artist, and it's instead just using him for money. So I just wanted to talk about that. It makes me really angry every time I hear a, a bad posthumous release and it just like disrespects the artist. And it's like, okay, that was just a jerk move to do. You're yeah. completely lowballing this artist. Just and- di- Not just lowballing, dishonoring them. Even if I don't love the artist, even if I thought that they were bad while they were alive, it's just sad to see their death blatantly disrespected and used for a better agenda or a better purpose. So a great posthumous album is definitely... One of the saddest but best things to hear in music. Mm -hmm. And we weren't going to get out of this segment. We weren't going to get out of this podcast without me mentioning this. But I want to talk about the passing of MF Doom. We learned on on New Year's Eve, I believe, that MF Doom, uh, one of the most influential rappers of all time, one of the greatest MCs, has been dead since October 31st. His cause of death is unknown. But it has been revealed after two months that he passed away. Uh, MF Doom is not only one of my favorite rappers, but definitely one of the best. His wordplay is unmatched, and the persona he built around himself with the mask and the supervillain and letting almost no information about his personal life hit the outside world. He didn't even perform at concerts for the second half of his career. It was just incredible that he could keep all of that up and still create such a consistent and amazing discography. He collabed with every great artist and producer of the time with Ghostface Killa of Wu-Tang, with Mad Lib, with Danger Mouse from Gorillaz, with, uh, I'm forgetting them, but with Jay Dilla, he has a few songs with Jay Dilla, just the wide variety of artists he worked with and was always creating amazing music. It's just so tragic to hear about his death. And 
if they do decide to make a posthumous MF Doom album, I really hope it's just honoring him and everything he's created. I doubt that an artist like him and people like his family would try to make a cash grab out of MF Doom, considering he's been underground for most of his career and everything that's happened to him in life uh, regarding the record industry. He became homeless for a few years after his brother died and he sent in an album. Uh, Their record label said it wasn't good enough and they dropped him. So I doubt his family and his estate will want to create something like that. But if they do, I just really hope it honors him and it's good. Such a tragic death. Mm -hmm. And with death becoming more and more um, prevalent in hip hop, considering Lil Peep, X, uh, Mac Miller, Juice World, uh, Pop Smoke, King Von, all these people dying over the course of just two years. And I just hope that people learn or hope or try to replicate some of like the best posthumous albums and respect these artists because even if you don't enjoy their music, you should definitely want to hear their artistic values being recreated and carried out as they would want to hear it on the, on music. I agree. We, we can't stop death. We can't stop people from dying and we can't stop them from making choices that'll lead to death. But I really hope at the very least people can stop the families and estates of dead artists from releasing music that dishonors their legacy. It's just sad to see. So uh, that's going to be it for today. Thank you so much for listening. We know this episode was a bit of a downer, but it was just things we wanted to talk about. And you got to hear our final top five albums for the year also. So that's a bit of a plus. Uh, As always, you can reach us on our Instagram. You can listen to the playlist that goes with this episode on Spotify And you can tune into WLTL Radio whenever you want, 88.1, to hear some great tunes. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Colin. I'm Nate. This is Behind the Streams.